Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media or to tune into our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Now here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Open your Bibles, would you, to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Acts, chapter 13. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. I've entitled our Bible study today, World Missions Begin. World Missions Begins right here in Acts, chapter 13, in the heart of the early church. You remember the book of Acts opens up with Jesus this glorious scene, he is encouraging the disciples. He gives them a command. He says, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of God for you and me. This is the heart of God for the world and getting the gospel out. He's chosen to use us. It started with that group, that small group, right there at the very beginning, waiting in the upper room in Jerusalem. Don't leave here. You're gonna receive power. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, your life's gonna change. You're going to become witnesses. You're gonna become messengers. You're going to have a heart for people. You're going to start caring. You're going to start caring more for the people's souls than you ever did in your whole life. And then he gives the location. And we read this. We've studied this. This is just review. We've already studied through Acts. This strategic plan of God to reach the world using us. In chapter 5, we learn in the book of Acts that all of Jerusalem was filled with the gospel. They accomplished filling and taking the gospel to Jerusalem. Then remember, persecution started. They they stayed in Jerusalem. They didn't leave. So God allowed persecution to come, and it moved believers out of Jerusalem. They they left Jerusalem and went into the areas like it was predicted, Judea, Samaria. A revival was breaking out. Remember that revival in Samaria was amazing, what God was doing. Then in chapter 12, we see the gospel coming into the Gentile city of Antioch. Antioch becomes home base now for the church and its leadership, and it it becomes a new place for world missions. There's still a church, and the apostles are still in Jerusalem, but now missions is going to come through the reaching the world, the primarily the Gentile world, is going to be reached through this gathering of believers in Antioch. And I don't want you to miss this. This is the plan of God. This was the plan of God from the beginning. Even though when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't leave like a binder or a manual on how to reach the world. He didn't exactly explain what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to do it, what it's going to look like, what it's going to look like on this day, this month, this year. He gave them direction so that they might learn how to depend upon the Holy Spirit. And we'll see today in our Bible study just how evident and active and present the Holy Spirit is in the missionary heart of the believer and how he moves upon us if we will pay attention to him and be open to a fresh work of the Spirit. They had to depend upon the Holy Spirit. That's God's word to you today. You have to learn how to depend on the Holy Spirit. It isn't gonna happen any other way. God didn't leave you a binder. I know he left us the Bible, but the intent of the Bible is not like a a, a line-by-line list. I know some of you, some of you love to live by lists. Anybody? Anybody love to live by lists? You know, if you, Ed, Pastor, if you would just tell me these 10 things to do, man, that's all I'll do the rest of my life. Well, it's not gonna happen that way. You just love lists. You like to know what's going on ahead. You're, maybe you don't love lists as much as you like planning and you like to know the future, which is really just a way of saying you like a life where you have pretty much control over it. And that's just how you are. It's your personality. Others of you, you're just like men and women of faith. Well, it doesn't matter. I don't, I'll just go wherever the flow is and I'll just do this and I'll just do that. I don't need to be there on time. I don't need a lot. I don't need maps. I don't need a direction. We'll figure it out. There's a tree. Turn left at the rock and whatever. That's how you are. And we need you too. We need you to stir up faith. 
For those of us, if you haven't learned by now, I kind of like lists and I like the future. Like I need people of faith around me to stir it up. But you that are free flowing need people like me in your life to bring a little organization and a little bit of structure. And isn't it the sense of humor of God that he usually brings together in marriage planners and faith? And that's a big source of conflict many times in marriage. But you know, we forget that marriage is not a competition. It is by God to bring a compliment to one another, that we get to work together. Just like in the body of Christ, we get to work together with our differences. But it is a frustrating thing that you want, what is God going to do? Because I wish he would plan it out for me, but he doesn't want to plan. Because if you did get ten, a list of 10 things, here's how you would live your life. You would pay attention to that list the rest of your life and not to the Lord. Now, I know you would have, like you would worship God and you would, it's not like you would be apostate or anything, but you just wouldn't wake up in the morning and go, wonder what's going to happen today. Instead, you wake up in the morning and say, I'm on number three. And you'd work it down. And God wants you to trust him. That's what the book of Acts is. He wants you to trust him. Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas at this point, do not know what the future holds. They don't know. All they have is right here in verse one. And in the, in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord, verse two, and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, if you haven't marked that yet, make sure you mark. This is the first activity here of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking. And we know he spoke probably through the prophets or teachers there. Now, and this is what he said. Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And God has called each one of us to a special place in the body of Christ, to a special work. We've looked at this in previous studies. Verse three, then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. Then verse four, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. They also had John as their Assistance. So let's pause there for a moment and spend some time on this section. You note takers, I want you to note this. We'll get to it in later studies, but this is where John Mark shows up. This is where John Mark shows up right here. And he is related to Barnabas and you'll see he causes some problems later on in their relationship. But this is John Mark and you might just need to jot that down so you can remember that as we get to him later on. But here we see the gospel going out through Barnabas and Saul. They will be the vessels or the people in this early stage that God has chosen to take the gospel to the world. The gospel. What is the gospel? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me give you a very simple authoritative answer of what the gospel is. We often refer to it as the good news, and it is. And let me show you 1 John, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here is a very simple explanation of the gospel. And here in the Bible, we get it. It's, uh, I know people have complicated it. I know seminary will, will you know, some guys, some seminaries, they'll, they'll spend years and years trying to define the gospel. Save your money. Here it is right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse one. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here it is. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. We have sinned. We are separate from God. God saw that and out of love sent his son, Jesus Christ. He died for your sins, just like the Bible said, according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again from the dead. That's the gospel. There's a life of separation for every man, woman, and child apart from Christ because of our sins. You don't need a pastor here today to convince you that you have sinned 
against God, you already know that. It's intrinsic. You know you're not a perfect person. I know oftentimes I'll try to convince people of their sin by just simply asking the question, have you ever made a mistake? So let me do that. Have anyone here, have you ever made a mistake in your life? Yes? Anybody? Okay, good, because you're a bunch of sinners. That's why. What we refer to as mistakes, and we're very quick to admit it, the Bible calls sin. Except that sin is a much greater, it's the gravest mistake that you can ever make in your life. So much so, the Bible says that if you die in your sins, that you will spend eternity apart from Christ. That's a significant thing to learn. That you are in a bad condition. You, you are in a bad shape apart from Christ. And it's not just you have sinned. The Bible makes it very clear we have sinned. If there was ever any doubt that, you know, I'm good or I'm better or I'm not like them, if there was any doubt in our minds, God put it this way. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the difference among us today, the difference in the room, the difference with you connected by technology, the difference today is not whether we've sinned, like there are some that have and some that haven't. That's not the difference. The only difference is, is that some of us have sinned a lot more and a lot worse and others haven't. That's it. And we're all going to have to stand before God, our creator, and answer for our lives. This is the gospel, friends, that your sins can be forgiven. That God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, because he loves you to die, be buried, and Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. You see, the wages of sin, what sin gives, what the end result is, if you don't deal with this in your life, spiritually, the wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. You know, if I was just to end there, it would bum people out. That's not good news. What do you mean? The wages of sin is death. That's not good news. But the gospel doesn't end there. You see, even though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he's ready to forgive you today. He's ready. He's probably more ready than you are to receive you into his family to break that separation, to give purpose and direction for your life the way God created you, to show you that your life matters, that you're needed and wanted in this world. I mean, you look at the world today, you're just like, it's out of control, upside down. Why? Because they have turned their back on God. That's why. This world is not governed by God. It is not looking to God. The world in which we live has invented ways to eliminate God from their life. And you know what? You have too. This is not blaming on people. You doing your own thing. You, you live in your own life. You, you're just like, oh, I don't need God. I don't want God. You know, that, that's, that's on you, man. That's going to be on you. I know of which I speak. I mean, I'm not, I'm not speaking some abstract thing that I learned somewhere. I lived this. I, I lived it, unfortunately. I'm not proud of that. I lived this life. I, I know. I know what it's like to get up on the party scene. I know what it's like. I, I, all of, I, I know what it's like to live a separate life from God, and it's a miserable condition. It's miserable. And I'm so grateful God was patient with me, and God has been patient with you. So that today, in just a few moments, you can even say it, you could do it right now, even while I'm talking. But here's what the Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And let me tell you, friend, you need to be saved. You need to be rescued. God sent a savior in the world to save those who need to be saved. That's what we're reading. Why would God separate Paul or Saul and Barnabas for the work of the ministry? Because the world needs to be saved. I mean, you might even be challenging that in your mind right now. And that's fine. That's good because now you're listening to me and we're having a dialogue in your head. And that's wonderful. But let me ask you this question. If you look at your life and you see, because, you know, you, sometimes you're like, but I, I'm a good person. And I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. I wouldn't argue with that. I'm sure you're a great person. I'm sure you're a wonderful person. We get to know you. There's all kinds of great attributes about you. But when it comes to the things of God, you have to ask this question. If you're a good person, how good enough is good to live eternally with God? I mean, is it your measurement? Like you did three good things this year and that's all that's needed? Or you're moral, you're more moral than someone else? 
is that what the standard is? And, and I can answer that question for you. The standard of good is perfect, which means none of us stand before God perfect. Only Jesus does. And he invites you into a relationship with him today that your sins might be forgiven. It'll, it'll rock your world. You'll become a better man. You'll become a better woman. God will begin to immediately work on all the issues in your life and in your marriage. I mean, I remember, for the sake of testimony, I remember as a born-again believer, this was a very humbling, I mean, I knew I was bad, but I didn't really know how bad it was until I was born again. And God began to open my eyes. And I'm like, wow. And, and God had to take me as a 23-year-old kid, and, and he had to take me back and teach me every attribute of life. I, I needed to learn how to be a man, a real man. I needed to learn how to be a husband. I'd already been married. Uh, I needed to learn how to be a dad. We already had a kid. I needed to learn how to be a better son because of my parents. I needed to learn how to become a better employee. I needed to learn, I, I needed to learn every aspect of life from God's perspective. And that's very humbling. A lot of times that's what holds you back. You're so successful. You've been, come so far. You're like, I don't need any direction. I don't need God. God is good for you. I don't. And the reality is, God is waiting. He's knocking on the door of your heart even right now, inviting you to himself. I'm not asking you to join a church or follow me like I'm some, like you, God, God has sent his son to die. I didn't send my son to die. God sent his son to die for you. And he rose again so you might receive him and live for him and not yourself anymore. That's what's happening here. The word of God is coming through Barnabas and Saul to the people they're meeting. In John chapter one, the Bible declares Jesus, it says that he came and dwelt among us. He took on human flesh and dwelt among us. We're gonna be talking about that. Christmas gets closer. There's a technical word for that, a theological word for that. We refer to that as the incarnation. It's God becoming flesh becoming human flesh, so, so that Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man. And I've gone into that in depth in other studies, but that is the incarnation. But by way of application, understand that the process and the progress of the gospel, what God wants to do is take the gospel and make it incarnate in you so that you're living out the gospel, that it's alive in you, this good news. One of the ways it's alive in you is through your testimony and what God has done in your life. Like, like you know, as, as, a, as a pastor, some people have these, un, un, you know, they have thoughts about pastors that, that are just simply wrong. Like, it's like one of those thoughts is like, well, Pastor Ed, when you share the gospel, you just teach Bible studies everywhere you go. You take your Bible and wherever you're at, if some need, you just take out your Bible and you give them a 45-minute Bible. It's like if I was at Safeway sharing the gospel with the, someone at the tomatoes that I see crying and I go up and say, are you okay? Um, you know, did the tomatoes do that much to you? They're like, are you so sad? Why are you so sad at the tomatoes? And they go, oh, you don't understand. Such and such goes on. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to lay my hands on her and pray or at least ask permission. And, you know, can I pray for you right here in Safeway at the tomatoes? It's not, oh, you're having a problem here? Let me get a crate over here. Let's sit down here. We'll move this stuff out of the side. I've got a 45-minute Bible study for all of your problems. Or on the plane or wherever I'm at. Pastor, we're not going around. Like, I do exactly what you do. If I see a need, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to invite them to church. I might have a Bible in my car. I'm going to go out and give to them. I'm going to run to my car, go get it. Don't leave. Don't leave the tomatoes. I'm going to stay here because I want to give you a Bible. Or I might have a book I'm going to give them or something along the lines. So that the reason I share a silly illustration like that is because you, you think, well, Ed, that's what you do and this is the way you do it, but it's not what I do. It's what we do as the church. It's incarnate. The Holy Spirit is in you so that you take the word of God wherever you go. That the gospel is lived out for you. You don't have to give a 45-minute Bible study. All you need to do is tell people what God has done in your life. That's powerful. You look at it, and you, know, you look at it, and some people are looking, you know, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And you know you're successful. Your story's unbelievable. 
You're not making it up. You're not exaggerating. You're just like, no, I'm bro, this is my life. I know, I, was, I know it's true because I was there. Like I was there. I lived it. It's true. I'm telling you. And it can be true in your life too. You know, even in services, we'll have people come up and what God's doing in your life. I ministered to a brother recently who came up and responded to the message and was able to talk to him. And, you know, you could see he was torn up. You know, you could see that, that man, this brother, like, so he comes up, I put my arm around him and he's just reeking of alcohol. Like he's absolutely have been drinking, man. It's, and that's probably a big source. And so I'm praying with, I'm talking to him and my first thing out of my mouth is, here, here, I don't know what your story is, but I'm telling you right now, you need to stop drinking. It's gonna improve your life almost immediately if you stop drinking. You gotta stop. He goes, I know, I know, and tears are streaming. Now he's a big, strong man too. Like I could see, like God's working in this man. And he began to share with me everything. My, my marriage is this, my kids are this. And I'm just like, my heart's breaking with them. You know, you got to stop drinking. But, you know, before we even ministered to him, one of, the, one of the, things I, I, the thing I really had to tell him was this question. Did you drive here? Because if he drove here, we're not letting him drive home. Because people that are wrecked by life, they still make all these decisions and we want to help him. No, we're going to make sure he, he didn't drive here. Someone dropped him off, which was really great. It just put him in a position to receive. Like God is working in his life. He's evident. He's been here, and I learned he's been here for a few weeks and responded to the gospel and such, and, but he still has some things he has to work on. And this is not true in your life. There's still things you have to work on. And there's things that can immediately improve your life. For some of you, it's a sin. It's a burden. Yeah, it's a, for some of you, you need to get saved. For some of you, you need to step into obedience. You, you need to get back to your first love. There's things that can improve your life immediately so that the gospel can live through you. Because ultimately what, what I like to do is with a brother like that who just felt, he felt defeated in the sense where stop drinking, I don't think I could ever do that. I could look him in the eye and say, no, you, and, and this, is, this was an amazing thing. I, I have it in my mind, like right now I see, I told him to look in my eyes. I said, you've got to look in my eyes. And he stared at me through his glass, he's staring at me. And I said, I want you to look at me in the eye and I want you to hear this from my voice. I have been sober from a life like yours for 30 plus years and God can do the same thing in your life. That's the gospel incarnate. He didn't need a Bible study. He didn't need, he just needed to be told of the victory and the power that's available in Jesus Christ. And that's what the world needs, guys. This is it. This is our life. This is what the world needs. Your testimony. Sure, you know the word. We'll get to it in a moment. We need to know the word and such. But man, this is what the world needs. You see the news? Like if you don't see what's going on, you just got to watch the news just for a half hour. Just a half hour broadcast and you'll see, man, sin has wrecked everything. It's just wrecked everything. Every corner, every, just so much damage. But if you're always watching the news more than a half hour, you may be deceived in thinking that God is not active. He is. He's changing lives, drawing people into himself, rescuing prodigals, saving marriages, affirming, like he is working now in a world that seems out of control because of sin. And he hasn't stopped until he returns. He hasn't stopped. God has always been on the outreach. So notice, as they're sent out in verse four, it says, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. And notice where they went. They went to, what does it say in verse four? Cyprus. Of course, they went to the city of Seleucia, but they sailed to Cyprus. Now, it's interesting. This is where you read the Bible. Why is Cyprus so significant? Well, you'll remember back when we studied in the beginning of Acts that when we met Barnabas, where is Barnabas from? Cyprus. So it makes sense when they're beginning, you know, what an exciting time this must have been. The call of God, the work of God. Hey man, where we want to go, this is amazing. The church is praying for us. We're, we're launching out. Where are we going to go? I don't know. We're just going to go by faith. But someone must have said, hey, why don't we just go to Barnabas? I know people there. I mean, let's go to Cyprus. I know people there. And they end up going to a place where Barnabas already had relationships. Well, it reminds me, and I don't want to develop it today, but I just want to say it. It reminds me that, you know, everything with following the leading of the Spirit and stuff doesn't always have to be super hyper-spiritual. 
Well, you know, I'm not sure what to do and I don't know, I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to get up in my... Like, it doesn't always have to be like that. Like, like, these, like, these, in, like these invite cards. You know, we get them out and, you know, you don't need to go home and, okay, I'm going to lock myself in a closet and I'm going to pray for 10 days and I'm going to pray for 10 days and give 10 of them away and I just know I'm not going to talk to anybody and the Lord's just going to... No, 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 no. No, you, you... I mean, I guess you can do that, but you don't have to do that. All you need to do is take the card and the first person you see, you can invite them. That's it. Be practical. Or let's go back to Safeway again. You shop at Safeway all the time. Why don't you give, to, give one to someone you always see at Safeway? You know why? If you always see them, guess what? They always see you. Like if you're going through the same checkout thing and the same person, the same gal is there, they know you, you know them. And you're just like, hey, why don't you come to church? It's right here. You know, the Safeway's right here. So just walk across the street after work. We'd love to have, worship God with you and celebrate the birth of Christ. It doesn't always have to be hyper-spiritual. Sometimes the leading of the Holy Spirit is just so obvious and practical. It's just right in front of you. You don't, you don't have to work it up. Because sometimes what happens with Christians is they get so hyper-spiritual about things that they stay in that zone and never do anything. So they come out of their prayer closet after 10, 10 days of no, water, you know, no food and anything. And they say, where have you been? I've been in my closet praying. What am I supposed to do with these cards? Like, bro, Christmas already passed, man. You pray through Christmas. Well, you know, I guess I don't. No, no, no. Just, just invite someone. Have a love for them. Pray for them. And just say, hey, I'd love to have you come. You don't have to be... You don't have to get into that realm where you're so caught up in stuff where you just see God's leading you, he's using you, just go for it. You don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to know all the Bible, just be faithful and obedient. So before we move on, I want you to notice back in verse two, the work of the Holy Spirit here. In verse two, we see that the Holy Spirit is speaking. In verse four, we now see the Holy Spirit is sending out then when we get to verse 9, it says Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the pattern. God speaks, he calls, he sends, and then he fills. This is the work of the Spirit in your life. It's not just for some big step, it's for every step. Where God is speaking, you're reading the Bible, he's just speaking to you. Uh, that's one of the benefits of reading the Bible every day. You don't know what he's going to say. There's going to be the facts of the Bible, but then you, know, you might read something and it might remind you of someone. Like for example, just something very simple here. It says that they, in verse four, they sailed to Cyprus. So you wake up in the morning, you have your breakfast, you have your coffee, you're going to go to work, you're going to take care of the errands and the chores for the day. You're, you're not thinking about sailing, you're not thinking about anything, but you're reading it and you're like, sailing. And it reminds you of a time you went sailing with friends. And then in that reminder, you think, man, I haven't talked to that person in a long time. I think I should reach out to them. And then there you are at a place where God has impressed upon you someone from the past just because of a little word I hear. Now, that's not the point of the text. The point of the text wasn't to remind you. But because you've been faithful and you open up the Bible, and when you open up the Bible, you're not just reading it to reading it. What you're doing is, God, I want to hear from you. And so he may use just a word like that and say, oh, that's amazing. That happens. It happens to me all the time where a passage will remind me of a situation or a person and all that's waiting for you, all that's waiting for you is to do it. Where you have... This opportunity, you know, I forgot, I, I, God spoke to me and I haven't done it yet. Do it. Or, or I haven't been in a service where I've really heard the Lord in a long time. Well, he's always speaking, so then you just have that sense, you know, I need to pray for myself that I hear from God. And, and here, the word of God speaks, and all that's left so many times is for you to act. And I wonder who's listening to me today. That's exactly your life. I don't hear from God. I don't know what the future. And then I say, okay, if that's a condition of your life right now, what's the last thing God told you to do that you haven't done? Because that's what he's waiting for. God is speaking and he's moving and he's leading. The question is, is are you obeying and cooperating and submitting yourself to him? 
You want to experience the dynamic of being led by the Spirit, having the Spirit speak to you, having the Spirit call you and lead you, having the Spirit send you, and and having the Spirit fill you. It's important that you're in a position of obedience. That you do. Remember what Jesus said? That you do. what Jesus said this, and I'll paraphrase. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's where love meets the road. I do what Jesus tells me to do. No matter what the world thinks, no matter what my family thinks, no matter what my friends might think, I'm going to obey God because he's the one that saved my life. And because of that, I'm going to love my family and I'm going to love my friends and I'm going to be faithful to be the best man that I possibly can be. And for you, the best woman that you can be. God is on the move. And he's working that. So they go to Cilicia. They end up in Cyprus, very practical, 60 miles away, hometown of Barnabas. They worship Venus there. Why did they go to Cyprus besides Barnabas' hometown? Well, uh, Cyprus was really bad. They worshiped the goddess Venus, which required, it jacked the whole island up because it required, first of all, worship of Venus required that every woman, think about this, every woman had to be a temple prostitute for a year. I mean, what were they thinking? And then, of course, that's corrupting all the men, taking advantage of the women and their friend's daughter. It's just wicked. It's not God's will for them. God's will for them was to be right with him. So he sends to, he loves Cyprus so much that he sent these guys to the island to share the truth with them. That's how much he loves them. So good. So pick up with me now in verse six. It says, now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. This was their ministry. It's how world missions started. They get to an island, they find two guys. We know their ministry is much bigger, but two guys are important. For the sake of contrast, God wants us to see this. And this makes sense. If you pay attention to the Bible when you're reading it, for, you look for this, and you also pay attention in your own life and look for this, you'll see it all the time. And here, this is what you'll see. Excitement and progress. God's doing great things. You're so excited. You leave a Bible study. Man, that was amazing. God spoke to my heart. I want to I move forward. I, I want to step out. I want to hand out a card. I've never done that before. All of that, there's just great progress. Think God's changing your life, changing your mind, everything. And there's always going to be with that progress, great resistance. Just like here. They're ready to do great things. Sergius wants to hear the message. And then there's this guy, Elimus. And we've taught Bible studies on this, but I I describe it this way. Wherever there's great progress for the Christian, there will always be great resistance. It says right here, as you read ahead in verse eight, but Elimus the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them. Circle that word and next to it you can write resist or stand against or undermine. Because that's what he's doing here. He withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. There's always going to be an alimus. You'll remember back in Samaria, there was Simon, the sorcerer. That's what he was doing the same thing. And wherever there's great progress, there's always going to be great resistance. And we have a phrase for that. I taught about it a few weeks ago. Uh, it's called spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. There is a war in the spiritual realm that is being fought against you to hinder your progress following Jesus. You want to do something for the Lord and you step into it and boom, the enemy's right there ready. He's right there through circumstances, through situations. All He's just right there. He attacks the mind. He attacks the emotions. We studied all that in depth. Eight ways the enemy attacks, eight ways you can withstand him. Because that's the answer. The answer, church, is to stand fast in your faith. The answer is to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Well, we don't have to give the devil so much credit like he's all so powerful and we don't know what to do. He, he is powerful, but not more powerful than our God. I mean, I mean, the devil is smart, but not smarter than God. He's under the authority of God and you can resist him, but you can also expect alignments. There's always gonna be resistance. And around the church here, We've even adopted a new phrase among the staff and team and leaders is that there is a new thing, and I know it's not new, but it's kind of new to me. It's like unusual spiritual warfare. 
Like, you know the normal stuff. You know the things that come. But then there are, like, where did that come from? And I've never seen that. I've been dealing, I dealt with a situation not too long ago where, as it was being described to me, uh, one of the things that was happening, like, when it was described to me, like, what was described to me, I didn't even know existed. I mean, I don't, I'm not a guy that lives with my head in the sand. I, I understand the world. I live in the world for my like I, But the, the enemy is inventing things to destroy lives that I hadn't even learned about yet. I'm like, bro, I didn't even know that was a thing, destroying this kid's life. He's going to resist. He is actively resisting, trying to withhold, trying to undermine, trying to get your life and your eyes off of the Lord because he knows if he can get you off your balance you're done you're wiped out if he can get you into the realm of your flesh you're wiped out if he can get you back into the world you're done he'll wipe you out and here Elimus is he's a sorcerer and that's the word means what it means he was into astrology the occult all kinds of black magic, which is forbidden in the scriptures. But what made, him di- what made him dangerous is he took all that junk and he mixed it and made it sound like it was the Bible. And you know we have people doing that today. You gotta be careful. Stay away from the things that God tells you to stay away from. And not, you know, these false teachers, this, this guy was a false teacher. He definitely was wrong in every way. But there was also this guy, Sergius. Don't miss him. Because when you're fighting all the spiritual warfare and going through things, people like Sergius get missed. Don't miss him. Because as much as there is the enemy uh, coming against us, there's also guys like this that are in our lives uh, that need our help and want our help. Sergius Paulus, he was, notice it, the Bible says he was an intelligent man. And I've learned over the years that there are plenty of intelligent people in this world that want intelligent answers to their probing questions in life. There are plenty of people that, that are asking questions about God, asking questions about the Bible, asking questions about church, and they deserve an answer. And they've come to you. This is why the Bible says to study, to show yourself approved, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because of all these questions in the world, there are good answers. You don't need to be intimidated by things you've never heard before. I hear questions all the time. I'm like, man, I've never seen it that way before. I've never thought of it that way before. And the Holy Spirit is there to help you give the answers to those that are asking the questions. You know, the problem is many times, especially with pastors, pastors are in the pulpit answering questions that people aren't asking. And you want to be able to answer the questions that people are asking. You want to know what's happening in the culture. You want to be able to be sensitive to what's happening so the Holy Spirit can use you. And I know it's intimidating because you come and people ask you questions. Well, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't, I don't even know that. You, know, you should call the church. And I'm going to tell you right now, don't tell them to do that. You are the church. And so here's a tactic, something you can use. Somebody asks you a hard question, you could say, wow, that's a good question. I've never heard of that. Why don't you give me a week? Give me a week and I'm going to find the answer to that. And then I'm going to come out. I'll give you the answer. But you just got to give me a week because I've never heard that before. And what will happen is, God will encourage you because there's great resources you can have, great places. Like you, you'll be able to study, you'll learn it for yourself and then it'll become yours so that when you give them an answer, you're not just giving them someone else's answer, you're giving them your answer. It'll build your faith too because it'll make you go into the word. It'll make you search. And, and don't be intimidated because, I mean, that, that's one of the reasons why we have resources downstairs for you. That's one of the reasons why we have Calvary Live so we can answer questions in real time. And look, you know, you get a question here and there that you don't know, so do I. And I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but the way people are seeing the world today is forcing me to look differently so I can have an answer even for them. Not just to dismiss them and not just, no, like Sergius. Sergius had, he wanted answers. And he calls for Saul and Barnabas, they come, there's resistance, uh, and f- notice Saul loved Sergius so much, it says in verse 9, then Saul who is called Paul, which by the way, I know I've been back and forth Saul and Paul because that's how we know him. This is actually the first time in the Bible he's called Paul. His, that Paul is his Greek name. Saul is his Hebrew name. And his Greek, mean, Greek name Paul means little one. And to think where he came from and the big head that he had and pride and how he's against the church, now he's just the little one. That's what's important. It's not Paul, it's God. 
And so here's Paul. He's there. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He looks at, intently at Elimus, and notice what he says. Oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, <laughs> you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around uh, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. So you look at this and go, whoa, I don't think I could ever do that. Look a guy in the eye and call him the devil. Well, Jesus did it in John chapter 8. And I want you to know, this is not, nobody has the ministry to going around telling people they're the devil, okay? Because this is not normal. This is unique. Paul is obviously walking in something that we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the manifestation or what we commonly refer to as the gift of discernment. He cares so much about Sergius and his future eternal life that he deals with this guy directly. You're a liar, you're a fraud, you're from the devil. You remember in John chapter eight, Jesus did that with the Pharisees too. He says, you guys are of your father, the devil. And he just wanted to call him out in that moment. You don't see it happen very often. So it's not like God saying, oh, I've been waiting for my ministry. It's right here. I know who the devils are. And I'm gonna, like, you know, and guys, social media kind of brings that out of people too. Like, it's just not effective unless the Holy Spirit, you're filled with the Holy Spirit and it's happening there. Many times this just comes from this place of, man, I just want to tell people and put them in their place. Well, God doesn't need you to put people in their place. He needs you to love them and tell you the truth. And yes, this is a demonstration of love. I want you to see this because you look at it and go, whoa, Paul, what are you doing? Well, I want you to see this in an angle as hard as it is to hear these words. I want you to see what God is doing here. He's being very merciful. He's being very merciful with Elimus. Because if he gave in the moment Elimus what he deserves, he would die on the spot. That's what he deserved. Not only that, we see an example earlier on in the book of Acts. Remember in the early stages, we had believers come, Ananias and Sapphira. They saw Barnabas sell their property. They sold his property, then they sold their property, but they only put, brought part of the money there, lying, that saying that they brought it all. What did God do with them through the gift of discernment through Peter? They died on the spot, brought holiness. You know, we, when we praying, we don't want to pray for the judgment of God. We want to pray for the mercy of God in our lives. We want mercy. Of course, Jesus Christ, he took our judgment upon himself. But we want mercy from God. This guy, instead of being wiped out, he was blinded temporarily, taken out of the way so that he might now start thinking about his life. He had to deal with this. And he's out of the way now so that Sergius can receive. Now notice what happens with him in verse 12. In verse 12, it says, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The proconsul is saved. But I want you to be careful reading this, this verse, how he was saved. It says that he believed, and that's necessary for salvation. You need to believe in God. And what you believe will dictate how you behave. If you believe in God, it will change your life from the inside out. You believe in the gospel, it'll change your life from the inside out. It says, he believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So he, was, he believed, he saw the work of God and he believed, but what astonished him was the word. And it's an important distinction to make. It wasn't the signs and wonders in this amazing, this was the first miracle, the first conversion. These are all kinds of firsts that we're gonna learn in Paul's life. But he, what he, he wasn't, a, I, mean, it, 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 I mean, it was something to be said. Like it was something to be said to watch this all unfold right in front of him. Because I think there was a part of Sergius where he knew he was a liar and he knew he was deceiver. He, wasn't, um, he was involved in all the occult and all that. It wasn't imparting life to him. He wasn't doing what Paul and Barnabas was able to do in a short amount of time using the word of God. He wasn't astonished at what, he saw it. He saw it, I'm sure he was like, whoa. But what he was astonished at was the word of God. 
what, what got his attention, where the power really is, is in God's word. And that power was demonstrated as Paul and Barnabas was sharing with him answers to his questions, where they invited, he invited him and go, I've got all these things. And what Saul, Paul understood here is that this guy needed to get out of the way. There was a demonstration of power that then brought validity to the word of God. Astonishment at the teaching is so important. Were you reading the Bible? Even some of the simple things. I know we get caught up on the things we don't understand, but like you're reading the Bible and these simple things, like you're thinking, it's astonishing to think, you mean God loves me? That God desires change in me? That after all I've done in my life, he's willing to give me a fresh start? That's astonishing. you, You take the Bible and you look in the mirror and you're just like, this is amazing what God has done. Because if you're astonished at the truth of God's word, then here's what else you'll be astonished at. You'll be astonished at the grace of God in your life and what he has done and what he's doing and what he wants to do in your life. Because here's what happens. We just take things for granted. We just kind of expect these things. We get caught up in the culture and the consumerism of the culture and we start demanding. We leave self-sacrifice and then we go back to self-centeredness. And we're not astonished at the Bible anymore. And we're not astonished at the grace of God anymore. And we're not astonished at the love of God. We get caught up in all these other things that really aren't going to bring power and progress into our lives as believers. And he's astonished at the teaching of the Lord. How did he learn from the teaching of the Lord? From Barnabas and Paul. It was the gospel that astonished him. I mean, I'm sure the blinding tripped him out, but it was the word of God that made a lasting effect. And let that be what God sends you out and sends me out with today. That you would be astonished at the grace of God and come back to a place where you're excited and the joy of the Lord. Yeah, I know you're gonna bring pains with you. Of course you are. That's the, I was just thinking of that passage where we just lay aside the sin and the weights that so easily entangled us so we could run our race with joy. Yeah, we're gonna be carrying stuff. And the longer we live, the more stuff we carry. But at the same time, we're going to learn a new habit. We're going to cast our cares upon the Lord. We're going to learn that so much of life is truly bittersweet. There's a hard part to it, but there's a sweet part to it. We're going to learn that God will empower us and he'll strengthen us. That even in our worst condition, even in our sadness and our sorrow and our difficulty and our battles, God is still with us and he's going to help us through. And we're going to make it through the other side in him. And we're going to find the Sergiuses. And occasionally we're going to have to deal with these, these guys that are resisting the gospel. But we're not going to forget about the people that are ready and want to receive it. And that's the work of the gospel. That's the missions right there. That's it. And we'll see the rest of it. The whole rest of the book of Acts is all the missionary journeys. And just God taking them there, taking them there, taking them there. And then as you read ahead, you're going to learn, man, it's, it was hard. It was It was difficult. And Paul himself paid a very high price for his calling and commitment to Jesus Christ. But I know that when we meet him in eternity and we get to talk to him somehow, he'll probably be on repeat. He'll just repeat it. It was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. It was worth it. Because even out of his faithfulness, writing parts of the Bible and being used by God, you and I are saved. And we're growing today by the testimony of his life. And I'm sure, friends, you're going to be able to do the same thing. You're going to learn, and you're going to be able to say, it was, it is, it will be worth it in your life as you yield yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for the time in your word today. Uh, Just, you know, we go in so many different places in this text and, and so many different thoughts. We just pray your Holy Spirit would be faithful to bring it home to us and help us grow in your grace. Help us, help us, Lord. Help us to live a life that pleases you because when we live a life that pleases you, we're pleased and we're enjoying it. And today, if you're here, as the church is praying, we just want to invite you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. To receive the forgiveness of your sins in a moment of time.
It's not I was always this way. It's not I was born this way. It is a moment of time where you yield your life, receiving the forgiveness of your sins because you realize what Jesus has done. And so today, if that's you, I want to invite you in this room just to stand to your feet uh, so that you can acknowledge publicly your desire to follow Jesus Christ. It's not necessary, God bless you, but it's helpful as you have these points in life where you go, that was the day. That was the moment. That was the room. That was the place. God bless you here up front, you guys in the back. Who else would say, that's me? And I know this is online. God bless you here. God is working in your life, Crystal, in a big way. Very much at work. Who else would say, that's me? Today's the day. God bless you over here. You're going to have someone come up alongside of you. They're pastors. Don't be intimidated by them. They're just coming to make this real for you so you know you're not alone. You guys out online or on the radio, you're not forgotten. Uh, You guys downstairs, I think there's pastors down there to minister to you. And God is on the throne right now, drawing you to himself. He loves you that much. God bless you over here. Thanks, Josh. Someone in the back and that God would just use you to encourage them and to come alongside of them. Thank you, brother. Anyone else? Today's the day. Now is the time. This is it. God bless you. Hey, some of you leaders, you see somebody that's not uh, with anyone, get it, go over to them. You always have that opportunity. Thank you, Dennis. Anyone else? Today's the day. And I say that because that's all we have right now. The faithfulness of God in your life. His love for you. And so the Bible says if we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's what I want to help you do. The way we express that would be to talk to God. We call that prayer, but it's just really talking to the God that loves you calling you into relationship with him. So you could pray a prayer like this. You use my words or your own, but you could say something like this. God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me. I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. I turn away and repent from my sins today and ask you to help me to follow you all the days of my life. God, the men and women that are crying out to you today, it's an emotional time. It's a time of victory and celebration. It's a time of life change, God. May you pour out your spirit on them, that it be real, powerful, lasting in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Church. For prayer, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. To listen to this message in its entirety or to join us for our live stream services, visit us online at calvaryco.church or download our free Calvary Church app. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.